All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and open to the book of Mark chapter 7, if you would. Mark chapter 7, I know it sounds like we have a waterfall over here, our own personal Niagara, but that is just the sound of the water hitting the roof right outside that vent you see there. You are safe for now. Mark chapter 7. I want to begin reading in verse number 1 this morning. Mark chapter 7 and verse number 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Our Heavenly Father, I pray as we look into your word that you would teach us what, you, what we need to know and that you would change us how we need to be changed to be more like Christ. And that obedience to your word would always be the most important thing for us in life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning about traditions. What is a tradition? Well, a tradition is a ritual or a belief that has been handed down from one generation to another. Now, many people like traditions because they give a sense of stability, of consistency, and of connection. And not all traditions are bad. In fact, many traditions are very good and helpful because they're based on biblical principles. If, however, a tradition is at odds with God's commands, we must reject that tradition so that we can obey God. Sadly, many people confuse traditions and God's commands. They assume that because something has always been done a certain way, well, that it must be the right way to do it. Many people are not humble enough to admit that they and those who've gone before them might have been wrong. 
They would rather persist in doing what they're used to doing than change to do what is right. And this was one of the glaring problems that the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day had. To them, keeping the traditions of the rabbis and the elders of bygone days was more important than truly obeying God's Word. Now their teaching was particularly tricky because those traditions were often loosely based on Scripture. They were traditions nonetheless and traditions of men that were being presented as the doctrines of God. How many of you have ever seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof? A number of you are familiar with that movie. It tells the story of a Jewish community that has to leave their village because of uh, persecution and oppression. And, and the story opens with one of the main characters by the name of Tevya giving a monologue about life in their village. He says, but here in our little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay because Anatevka is our home. How do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word, tradition. Because of our traditions, we have kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But... It is a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. In that monologue, the character rightly summarizes many people's view of traditions. They believe that the path for pleasing God and living a happy life is to keep the traditions. But not every tradition pleases God. And here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders of his day about why his disciples were not keeping their traditions. They were not going through the ritual hand washing before meals that, that everyone else did. And they asked Jesus, why aren't they keeping the traditions? Jesus turned the question back around on them and pointed out that they were breaking the commands of God in order to keep their traditions. We need to understand this morning that it is not just the scribes and Pharisees of 2,000 years ago who've been guilty of elevating tradition above truth and above the commands of God's Word. If we're not careful, all of us, any of us, could fall into the same trap. Now we like to think that we have it all figured out that we have it, had it right all along. But understand that only God's Word is infallible, not man's Word. When our, and when our traditions contradict the Bible, we must give up our traditions and obey God. Notice with me, number one, the tradition here that was really the, at the core of this encounter, this exchange between Jesus and these religious leaders. It was a tradition of hand-washing. 
Now, the particular hand-washing that they're talking about here was not just common hand-washing for good hygiene, but rather it was the ritual hand-washing that the Jewish people would go through in order to be ceremonially clean. It was loosely based on instructions that were given in the book of Leviticus, but there had been things added to that over generations through the teachings of the rabbis, and it had become such an important tradition now that really for them it was a, it was a point of, of doctrine, that if you didn't follow this tradition, you were not right with God. And so they noticed that Jesus' disciples one day had sat down for a meal and they hadn't gone through all of the necessary ritual to cleanse themselves and wash their hands properly before they ate. And they thought that this was something that they could, uh, uh, they could accuse Jesus with and bring Him down. Now let me ask you a question. Is washing your hands a bad thing? If you say yes, would you raise your hand? We need to know that. Okay, everybody in here agrees washing our hands is a good thing. In fact, it's shocking to us to think sometimes that just 150 years ago, hand washing was, was a breakthrough science. And it was, it was a revolutionizing the medical world when doctors figured out we ought to wash our hands. We're grossed out by the thought of them not doing that nowadays. It's so commonplace for us. In all of our homes, we have sinks, and somewhere near the sink, we have soap because we were going to wash our hands multiple times a day. Is it sinful? Is it bad? Is it wrong to wash your hands? No. So was this tradition of washing hands sinful on that level, just on the face, on the surface? No. There was nothing bad, there was nothing immoral about this tradition. And let me say this, that not all traditions are bad traditions. And when Jesus challenged the Pharisees here about their view of this particular tradition, He was not advocating that we neglect good personal hygiene. He was not saying that. There is a place for good traditions in our lives. You might say that we ought to make obedience to God a tradition. It should be a belief and a behavior that we hold and that we hand down to the next generation. That is good. That is right for us to do. That ought to be happening in the home. A Christian home ought to be a place where obedience to God is a tradition. It is something that is handed down from one generation to the next. Psalm 78, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. God's pattern that he has established in the Word is that the people of God pass the truths of God down from generation to generation that begins in the home. As Christian parents teach their children the truth of God's Word and they lead them to obey those truths so that you can rightly say it becomes a good tradition. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
Obeying God should be a tradition. It should also take place in the church. Really, in the church, when we talk about discipleship, in essence, we're talking about creating a tradition of obedience to God. Jesus established this in Matthew chapter 28 when He said that we were to go and teach all nations, that we were to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Jesus taught His disciples what they were to do, and He told His disciples to teach others to do the same thing. And thus you had the handing down of beliefs and behaviors from one generation to the next. You know, in my home growing up, we had certain traditions. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. One of the traditions that we had was attending church. I'm going to call it a tradition because it was a belief and a behavior that my parents had and they handed it down to their children. And so in our house growing up, one of the traditions we had was attending church. I knew that if there was a church service going on, our family was going to be there. I do not ever recall growing up asking my mom and my dad, are we going to church today? It was just assumed that's what we were going to do. We used to go on vacation to a a beach in North Carolina called Holden Beach. And I didn't even have to ask if we were going to go to church on vacation because there was a little Baptist church there that we would go to every time we went there. It was a tradition. And you know what? It was a very good tradition. A tradition is not wrong just because it's a tradition. It could be that it is a very healthy, a very holy tradition. And there is a danger when people reject traditions for no other reason than that they want to do things differently. This happens all the time. I think we typically associate it with young people who grow up and they get out of the house and there's this sense of which I'm just going to do everything different from the way I was raised. And they reject the traditions that they were raised on just because they're traditions. Just because they want to do something different. Just because they want to try something new. Understand this, difference, something that is different is not always better. Okay? New is not always improved. Let me give you an illustration of this. We have a deep freezer that was given to us, my wife and I, when we were uh, a young married couple. That deep freezer is a month older than me. Okay? I'll let you do the math, but it was made several years ago. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that uh, appliances made 40, 50, 60 years ago seem to never die? You buy one nowadays, you're lucky if you get 18 months out of it, right? And what do we say about that? Well, they don't make them like they used to. I think that's a good illustration of this truth. New is not always improved. Some people think, well, this is a tradition. I must be able to do something better than that. Maybe, but maybe not. Don't reject something just because it's a tradition. Many Christians are falling today into the excitement addiction. We are being fed a steady diet of new and exciting things through the technology, information, and entertainment industries. They're always coming up with something new and exciting for us. Just this last week, Apple announced its latest product. It's called the Apple Vision 
Pro. It's a virtual reality headset. It's a $3,500 waste of money is what it is. But it's this device that you put on your head and it has all these cameras and sensors and has these displays on the inside of it and it allows you to interact with virtual reality and augmented reality. And so uh, you can see in your field of vision a computer screen and you can interact with it with your hands and do all these crazy things. And this, was a, this has been a huge deal for those of us who are geeks because they've been developing this thing for a long, long time. And here this week they had this big announcement at their Worldwide Developers Conference and everybody's talking about this new an exciting thing that they've come up with. And that happens across every industry. It seems like in our culture today, through social media, through the Netflix and the streaming services, they're always wanting us to get something new and something exciting. They want us to be addicted to that so they can sell us more and more stuff. What they don't want is for you to be satisfied with whatever you have. Because if you're satisfied with what you have, then they can't sell you something else. Well, that carries over, I'm afraid, many times into our Christian life, into our church life, into our relationship with God. We're so used to always being thrilled and excited by something new that the things that are old get boring. We get bored with the things of God that have become so familiar. And sometimes... People open their Bibles and discover that, you know what, reading your Bible every day is not always thrilling. Sometimes it's just a discipline where you need to apply your mind to learn the truth of the Word of God. They come to church and, they, and Christians get irritated because church isn't always exciting. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's just kind of normal. And they get bored with the things of God and they walk away from the tried and the true to start looking for a religious-sounding experience that is new and thrilling. So let me say this. It can be wrong to stubbornly do something only because it's what you've always done. But it can also be wrong to stop doing something only because it's what you've always done. What makes a tradition good or bad is whether it encourages or discourages heart obedience to God. So notice, secondly, the teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. They pose this question to Jesus, why don't your disciples keep the traditions of the elders? And Jesus did not answer their question directly. Instead, it says that... In verse number 6, He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus answered their question by quoting Isaiah 29, verse 13. Listen to this from the book of Isaiah. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Okay, that was the verse that Jesus quoted to them. He said, Isaiah got it right when he said about you hypocrites that you honor God with your mouth, but your heart is far from Him. You're a hypocrite. You're saying one thing. You're pretending to be one way when actually you're another. And you are using your traditions as a disguise when really... You don't love God, and you're not obeying Him from your heart. There were two parts to the Pharisees' error here. 
First of all, they were obsessed with appearances and ignored the heart. He said, your heart is far from me. You honor me with the lips. That's the outward, that's the the verbal, the thing that other people can hear and the things that other people can see. You honor me with the outward, but the inward is far from me. So there's an ignoring of the heart while focusing on the external things. That's a problem. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about the inner you, the real you. It's the part that I can't see. It's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the real you, and because it's the real you, the heart is the most important part of you. You will find this consistently throughout Scripture. The heart is what is most important. What is on the inside is far more important than what is on the outside. Man looketh on appearances, but God looketh on the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's how important our heart is. But see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day did not believe that. And to this day, you will find commonly amongst the Jewish communities today that really the only thing they care about is behavior. They could care less what you think or what your personal motives are. All they care about in their religious system is how do you behave. As long as you can maintain a strict standard of behavior, that's fine. That's all that really matters. As long as you look good, you are good. That was their philosophy. And that led to the logical conclusion that it's not enough just to do good. You have to be seen looking good while doing it. It was all about what other people see. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23 for a moment. Matthew chapter 23. This is one of the most intense passages of Scripture containing the words of Jesus against the scribes and the Pharisees and He didn't hold anything back. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a generation of snakes. But notice verse 5 here. Talking about these Pharisees, he says of them, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus said that's what they're all about, to be seen of men. And so they do everything they do to attract attention to themselves. He talked about some of the clothing and articles that they would wear. They would have these little boxes that would be on a a string that they would tie to their heads. And inside this little box, there would be little verses of Scripture. And it was supposed to indicate that the Word of God was always on their mind. So you know what they would do? They would make those boxes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That box was called a phylactery, by the way. Weird, Weird name, but that was the technical term for it. And Jesus said they make broad their phylacteries. You know? I'm just imagining these guys going around with a ruler measuring each other's phylacteries and being like, mine's bigger than yours, ha ha ha, I'm more spiritual than you are. That was the attitude behind it at least. 
He said they enlarged the borders of their garments. They had a, these garments that they would have um, a special trim around it with tassels and things that was part of uh, um, what they were supposed to wear to show that they were in a state of prayer and devotion to God. But rather than just having a simple and a plain border on their garment, no, they're going to have a big gaudy one so everybody could see just how devoted they were to God. It was all about doing what they did to be seen of men. They focused on externals and they ignored the heart. That was one part of their error in their teaching. The second part is that they were teaching the commandments of men as if they were the doctrines of God. Notice again, Jesus said in Mark 7, 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now this could have been done in one of two ways. They could have directly said, God says to do this, when in reality God didn't say that. That was someone else's summary or their idea about what God meant. But it wasn't what God actually said. These were the traditional teachings that were passed down in the Jewish community from generation to generation through the rabbis, the rabbis being their, their professional religious teachers. And they were teaching those commandments of the rabbis, do this, don't do this, as if they were God's word when they weren't. So they could be doing this directly or they could do it indirectly by leading people to believe that the teaching of men was just as important as the Word of God. This was very prevalent in the Jewish community that whatever the rabbi says about what God says is actually just as and maybe a little more important than what God actually said. And so they were teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Either way, the root of the problem is the same. It's mistakenly thinking that man's word is as important or more important than God's word. And the truth is, God's word only is what is most important. Man is fallible. We make mistakes. We get it wrong sometimes. In fact, we get it wrong a lot of times. I wonder if when we get to heaven, we're going to look back over our life and actually be able to count all the number of times we got it wrong. I think if we could do that, our head would spin. Particularly because so many times we are absolutely certain we got it right. But we're fallible. We make mistakes. And when it comes to the truth about God and what He expects of us, listen, we cannot afford to make mistakes. We will answer to God one day for how we have obeyed or disobeyed His Word. So we have to have a reliable source of information. Our eternity depends on it. So where are we going to find this reliable source of information? Well, it's not going to come from each other. It's not going to come from the writings of religious people that are dead and gone. The only source of reliable information that we have today is right here. The Bible. God's Word. Psalm 12, verse number 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
God's Word is guaranteed to be effective. It will accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. The Lord has said, My word, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sin it. Our doctrine must come from the Bible and not from man. There are a lot of people who base their entire religious belief system off of the writings of men confessions of certain groups over the years and these church councils and all of those kinds of things. This particular leader and his ideas and his, this particular guy's commentaries on Scripture. And there are a lot of people who are basing their belief and their behavior on the writings of men. That's dangerous. Sometimes the writings of men can be helpful. I think it is good for us to learn from others about the Word of God. But when we elevate man's Word over God's Word, we've got it backwards. And that's a recipe for disaster. We need to keep God's Word in its proper place. God's Word must be the priority. Our doctrine comes from the Bible. So if somebody were to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? It's not good enough to say, well, I've always believed that. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to say, well, that's what my mama taught me. Look, I'm sure your mother is a wonderful woman. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that she would lie to you. But I am going to tell you, not everything she said and did was always right. It's not good enough to say, well, that's what my mama taught me. It's not good enough to say, that's what we've always done. If somebody says, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you do what you do? The right answer is, because God said so. And if you can't say that, you need to get in the Bible and figure it out. If somebody says, why do you do this? And you say, I don't know. Then get in the Word of God and find out. I'm not saying you stop doing it, but you need to figure out whether it is based on the Bible or based on man's word. You need to know what you believe and what God says, not what man says. God says. Let me sum it up this way. Tradition does not establish truth. We ought to develop a tradition of truth in our lives, but a tradition of truth can only be established as we diligently learn and believe the Bible. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God and a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So when it comes to the teaching, we need to make sure that we keep God's word in its proper place of authority and priority. Now notice with me number three. We've seen the tradition, we've seen the teaching. Let's notice the transgressions from verses 9 through 13. Jesus said, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. In fact, in this passage, there are three ways that Jesus described the result of their teaching. He said that you lay aside the commandment of God, you reject the commandment of God. 
And later he says in verse 13, you're making the word of God of none effect. In short, they were sinning by keeping their tradition instead of obeying God. Now one example that Jesus gave in this passage was using a tradition as an excuse to dishonor one's parents. He said in verse 11, but if a man say to his father, it is Corban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever he might be profited by me, he shall be free and you suffer him to uh, no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Now what is he talking about here? Let's go all the way back to Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. One of those Ten Commandments said, honor thy father and thy mother. That's pretty clear. Honor thy father and thy mother. Now there should be no dispute on whether or not God expects us to do that. That's clear. It's repeated in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 2. It is God's will that we honor our parents. Now that means a lot of things. And among that, it means taking care of them in their advanced years to the best of our ability. Now in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and religious leaders had developed this tradition whereby a person could dedicate their wealth to God by going through kind of a, an elaborate scheme and ceremony and making a public acknowledgement and a public declaration that they are dedicating their possessions to God. But here's the thing, they wouldn't actually give their stuff to the temple. They still got to keep it. And it was theirs to do with what they, what they pleased. And what they would do, unfortunately, as Jesus used in this case as an example of what they would do, is they would, in reality, use their money and their things for whatever they felt like. And if they didn't want to use their money for something, they would excuse that by saying, well, you know, I'd love to help you here. I'd love to give you something. But actually, this is God's money, so I can't do anything with it. And the example he gave was of someone not taking care of their parents and using this as an excuse. It is Corban, it is a gift. So here's a person who has gone through this ceremony and made this public declaration that their possessions belong to God. It has been gifted to the Lord. But he has an elderly mother and father who are becoming destitute and they need assistance. Perhaps they need to move into their home and then that requires them to maybe add an addition on. And they have the means to do it, but they don't want to. And so they would say, you know, mom and dad, I'd love to help you here. I wish I could do something for you, but all of this that I have, it's God's. And I can't use God's money. I can't steal from God, can I? And it's been gifted to the Lord. I'm sorry. That's the kind of thing that was going on here. And Jesus said, you are breaking God's command to honor your father and mother, and you are excusing it with this man-made tradition. The lore of traditions, though, is that you can see them being done. And if you are most concerned about appearances, then traditions are going to appeal to you. You're going to do whatever you need to do to build and to maintain the kind of image that you want to have. You're going to work hard to give everyone the impression that you are a certain way even if the reality is different. Even if the reality is that your heart is full of sin. 
Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You ever driven by a fancy cemetery and seen some of those really impressive sepulchers and grave uh, markers that they have and or mausoleums or different things like that? You ever, you ever notice that? You think, wow, that's, that's pretty, that's ornate. When we, we had a chance to visit London many years ago, and we got to uh, eat in this restaurant called Cafe in the Crypt. There's a restaurant underneath the church, literally down in the basement where they used to bury people. And I have a picture of one of the grave markers on the floor. It's like several hundred years old, and that's where we were eating, right over here. It was kind of cool to be there, but how many of you would say, you know what, I, I would love to live full-time in a tomb. That would just be so awesome. No. Not even if it was empty, but let's just say there were actual bodies in there. I don't think we're all going to go for that. You say, but it's so pretty on the outside. Yeah, but what's on the inside? That's what's really important. And see... People oftentimes use their traditions as a disguise for their sin. Because by keeping the tradition, you can maintain the appearance that you've got it all together, the appearance that you're doing right, the appearance that you love God. And nobody can see what's on the inside. As long as you keep the outside looking good, that's all that really matters. And they say that birds of a feather flock together. You know, that's certainly true of hypocrites, I believe. People who believe, well, if you fake it, you can make it. They, they're going to want to be around others who have that same kind of thinking, who will give them the affirmation and the validation that they want. You'll often find people like this in cliques together, patting each other on the back, telling each other how good they really are. What they don't want is someone who will be concerned about their heart. What they don't want is someone who's going to poke a little deeper and find out is is there, there's something off here. What's the real problem? What's the heart of the matter? They don't want to be around people like that. They want to be around people who will just stay at their distance, watch them and see them do all the outward things and say, that's a good, you're doing good. Attaboy, you're, you're, you're all right. That's what they want. You know, Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul said, I don't want to be a part of that crowd. This crowd that gets together and they look at each other and say, you're doing good and you're doing good and you're doing good. And everybody says, you're doing good too. And they're commending themselves and patting themselves on the back. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's foolishness when we're just gauging one another based on appearances and ignoring heart issues. Traditions appeal to people because it allows us to maintain an appearance of godliness, an appearance of righteousness, while our heart is far from God. So what's the answer to the problem? Should we get rid of all traditions? Absolutely not. In fact, I would propose to you that it is impossible 
to rid your life of all traditions. At some point, you're going to develop a pattern in your life of what you believe and what you behave, and that will become your new tradition. So it really just boils down to what kind of traditions are you going to have? The answer to the problem is to keep our traditions in their proper place. Traditions must take a back seat to the Word of God. The Bible alone should dictate what we believe and how we behave. You know, occasionally it's good for us to stop and evaluate why are we doing what we're doing. And the truth is we cannot improve if we do not change. It's good for us to ask, why do we come to church every Sunday? Why do we have Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Wednesday night service? Why do we do those things? Asked properly, that's not a bad question. It's good to ask, why do we read our Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we pray before our meals? Why do we pray before bedtime with the kids? Why are we doing this? See, the, the danger is that we can forget even why we're doing the good traditions. Why we're do We can forget why we're doing them. And that doesn't mean we need to stop doing it. So I'm not saying quit praying for your meals. I'm not saying that. I'm saying keep praying for your meals, but do it for the right reason. Do it with a heart of obedience. I'm not saying quit coming to church. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying do it for the right reason. And all of the other traditions that you may have built up in your life, if they're good traditions that help you obey the Word of God, keep doing them. Do them for the right reason. But there may be some traditions that you look at them and you realize, this isn't helping me. This isn't encouraging me to obey God's Word. This is leading me in the wrong path. I'm saying those are the kinds of traditions we need to get rid of. And if a tradition is just being used to hide a heart of sin, the answer is not to get rid of the tradition. The answer is to clean first that which is inside the cup, as Jesus said in Matthew 23, and then the outside will be clean. Get it right with God, and then keep doing what is right. Surrender our traditions to God. And when we do, He will help us sort out which ones are good and help us obey and which ones are bad and that need to go. When our traditions contradict the Bible, we must be willing to give up those traditions to obey God. Heavenly Father, as we bow before You, we want to humbly ask that You, Lord, would show us whether or not our traditions are good and helpful, or whether they're just being used as a disguise for a disobedient heart. Lord, we need your help in this because our heart is so deceitful we can't even know it. And the thing about a tradition, Lord, is that we do it often because we think it's the right thing to do. And it just becomes automatic. And we don't consider seriously whether or not it truly is honoring you. So Lord, I pray that 
right now in this moment, as we take inventory of our lives, the Holy Spirit would open our understanding to see whether or not there are things that we need to change about how we've been living and what we've been doing. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Most people would consider me to be a very conservative person. And thus very traditional. And I want you to know that for me, it's not just a matter of convenience. It's a matter of conviction. I believe that there are things that we've been taught that are good. We need to keep believing and behaving those ways. But at the same time, I don't want my traditions to be what guides my life. I want to be guided by the Word of God. And if there is something that needs to go, I want to be willing to let it go. What about you this morning? I know that many of you have some God-honoring traditions. I am not advocating that you get rid of those. But I would encourage you to look deep and allow God to show you whether or not you're truly obeying from the heart or just keeping a tradition.